Greetings and salutations and welcome to Full Time, brought to you by The Game on News Talk 1400, The Game Entertainment and Media, and sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Nason, as we are joined, as always, by our other host, Daniel Scarpino, on this March 15th edition of Full Time, exploring the world of soccer. Daniel? Beautiful day in the Twin Sioux. Dare I say it feels like spring. How you doing, sir? Uh, dare you say, and I'm hoping that that dare is, is something that continues to happen, if you will. I'm doing great on uh, on March break right now, so life is good. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing wonderful, Daniel. Certainly great to have some sunshine. Certainly we have a lot of snow to melt off the pitch, if you will. And uh, we don't have a lot of local soccer today, but boy, Daniel... We got a ton of soccer to update our listeners on, and let's start with one of the main stories we had on our last broadcast two weeks ago, and it involves what's going on in the world, and being that we're a soccer show, it involves one of the teams that's certainly near and dear to a lot of our listeners, and certainly near and dear to yours truly. Um, The biggest and most disturbing story in the world right now, and over the past few weeks, Daniel, as you know, is the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, and as I mentioned earlier, while we aren't a news show, to give this story some context, the Russians continue to bombard cities in Ukraine as they attempt what the Russians and their president, Vladimir Putin, call a special military operation as the death toll continues to mount. Uh, Cities are being destroyed. The lives of everyday citizens have been uprooted with almost, well, not almost, but now over 3 million people fleeing of the country into neighboring countries. Uh, The Ukrainians are putting up a good fight against the Russian military, and this really doesn't look to be resolved in some time. Uh, Disturbing video and pictures that I've watched a lot of, uh, you watch it on the news, and again, this has the possibility to potentially not just be in Ukraine, but to uh, be a wider conflict into the NATO countries and beyond. But Daniel, this is a soccer show, and we could go on and on about that, but let's focus on how this affects the world of the soccer. Uh, we talked in our last edition of Full Time how this affects the Russian teams, including World Cup qualifying and the Europa League, and those teams being effectively banned from all competitions. But this also affects uh, a team that I root for, Chelsea, in the Premier League, and uh, their former owner, Roman Abramovich, uh, as we discussed last or two weeks ago, Daniel, he uh, put his team for sale, effectively giving up his responsibilities as owner to the Board of Trustees due to his uh, pretty deep ties, especially in his past, to Vladimir Putin. And uh, there's been big some development big developments over the past uh, couple weeks and really over the past few days and into today. Let's get to this one first, Daniel, before we get to a couple of the others. Uh, Over the weekend, in an unprecedented ruling against a club owner, the Premier League ordered Roman Abramovich on Saturday to stop running Chelsea and sell as he was sanctioned by the British government over Russia's war in Ukraine and uh, Abramovich's close links to Vladimir Putin. The league's board decision to disqualify Abramovich from being a director accelerates the end of the Russians' oligarchs' 19 years in control of Chelsea. Uh, The government uh, also has frozen a lot of their assets 
and they are overseeing the buyout process. Uh, there's several people that are interested in buying the club, and certainly there's lots to talk about, Daniel, which we'll get to, but just your overall thoughts on what's going on with Chelsea. I mean, they are still playing matches, but... You know, they have upcoming matches in France and in Middlesbrough, which we'll talk about. Uh, certainly, uh, team turmoil right now is uh, Chelsea FC. Well, it's, it's an understatement in so many regards there, Scott. But what I will say is that with everything that's surrounding the Ukraine situation, it's so difficult to speak on for a multitude of reasons. But our thoughts and prayers are certainly with the people uh, of Ukraine. But just sticking to a, a footballing perspective here, Scott, there's kind of two main schools of thought on this Chelsea situation. I'm going to give both of those schools of thought right now just to see for our listeners anyhow so that they can sort of judge which side they're on. you got the first school of thought, which I guess sort of suggests that we shouldn't care about what happens to Chelsea Football Club because of their previous owner and being who he is and the club is getting exactly what they deserve and we all should just move on and not care because what's happening in Ukraine is more important. Then you have the second school of thought, which is more on the side of, well, it's not really the fault of Chelsea Football Club or the association that the previous owner had, so leave the club out of it and only punish the owner and we still have to recognize, of course, the situation in Ukraine being dire. So for context, I'll read a couple of quick, really quick quotes here, Scott from each school of thought so our listeners can kind of decide which side of the fence that they're on from a soccer perspective. So the first school of thought being from Sky Sports' Nubaid Haroon, who's a broadcaster over there, he says, I cannot understand for the life of me why people feel as though Chelsea are being so hard done by as a football club and how it's unfair that this has happened to Roman Abramovich. Maybe when he came to the club in 2003, I don't know what the situation was at that point, but maybe at that point, he didn't have this political background as he now does. At this point, there are people who maybe are feeling sorry for Chelsea fans, but there is a real issue here. There are people who won't have a country to live in anymore. The issue really isn't who owns Chelsea or who pays the players' wages or if you can get Mason Mount on the back of your shirt. The issue is much deeper than that, and we need to realize that as football fans. We can't be so privileged to think that this is happening to the great, wonderful Chelsea Football Club and the wonderful Robin Abramovich. We have to stop doing that, end quote. And then just recently, a couple of days ago, I was listening to the This Is Anfield podcast, and they had Jurgen Klopp on, and he said something very thought-provoking for the other school of thought. And I'll, I'll read that quote now very quickly. He said, did anybody really, really care when Roman Abramovich came to Chelsea? Did anybody really, really care when Newcastle got taken over? So do supporters really care? That's the question. But it's pretty obvious where the money is coming from. So everybody knew it. It's our fault for accepting it. It's society's fault because we accepted it. And now we say we can't accept it anymore. So now we punish them. It's not Chelsea's fault, not at all. So those are kind of the two schools of thought there, Scott. And I won't have a go at anybody for thinking what they think or believing what they believe. It's not who I am as a as a human being. But one thing we can all agree on, however, is that what's happening in Ukraine is horrible. Our hearts ache for those folks beyond words. But from a footballing point of view on this matter, Many people have a difference of opinion, and that's how it is in the world of football, and especially on matters such as these, Scott. Yeah, and it really puts everything in perspective. You know, this is a soccer team, and these are matches, and that pales in comparison with what people in Ukraine are going through and, you know, having their lives uprooted. So I will start with that and just give my comments here before we touch on one other thing. And there's a couple other Chelsea notes that will intermix Daniel in our FA yes, Cup yes. and Champions League that we can talk about. But over the weekend, they played a home match against Newcastle United. And I'm glad you brought that up because, again, they, and we talked about it on our show, they had 
a uh, group from Saudi Arabia uh, that did have some controversy attached to them. And, you know, as a Chelsea fan myself, I adopted the team uh, just literally before Abramovich became the owner. And at Chelsea, before Abramovich was a mid-level team. And, uh, you know, obviously he spent money, how he got his money, who he was tied to. You know, for the average Chelsea fan and soccer fan, and I include myself in that, I'm a very average Chelsea fan, it was the fact that we had an owner that was willing to spend money and put that team to the top of the world and and collect a lot of trophies. And so over the weekend, you saw some chants at uh, Stanford Bridge, uh, pro-Abramovich chants. Uh, I don't think that's the right look right now, uh, certainly uh, with everything going on. But it's a tough one because, you know, I can Mm -hmm. see both sides of the coin. Do I think Chelsea uh, and that club, do they deserve to have uh, some punishment laid on them for their ties with the current situation going on in Ukraine? Yes, I do. Do I think they should completely uh, gut the team and not be allowed to play and not be allowed to, you know, sell merchandise, uh, you know, maybe temporarily, but not for the long term. And I don't think this is going to be a long term thing because one of the other things, Daniel, is, you know, the British government, which, you know, kind of laid down tougher sanctions last week and it kind of maybe pushed, uh, you know, pushed them back a bit now, allowing them to participate in the league for now and the Champions League tomorrow for now. Again, everything changes so quickly. It's quite a money raiser for just the British government and the Premier League. And so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an awful situation for the fans of Chelsea and certainly the players of Chelsea. Again, it, it's, you know, you could go through the list of any ownership group uh, in any profession and you're going to find a lot of bad guys and yes. you're going to find a lot of uh, people tied to bad people. Right now, the worst person in the world is Vladimir Putin and what he's doing in Ukraine and those that either rose to power or made money under him or whatever. They are the ones that are paying the price. And certainly, uh, Daniel, this story will continue to take shape, and we have more on that. Uh, any final thoughts, Daniel, before we get to the Big Five in Europe? Nah, not not too much to say apart from everything that we just covered right now. Scott, I thought you hit on so many big points and so many important points, but what I will say is that as time goes along, we will come to learn more, we will come to understand more, and we will come to really see this situation for what it is. And obviously right now it's much bigger than soccer in and of itself, but we will come to understand very soon the situation that Chelsea is going to be in definitively. I would like to think that they're going to be okay. I think it's much better for English football as it is for world football. But as, as time goes along, we will come to know more, Scott. We will indeed, Daniel. We will certainly keep our listeners updated here on full time. Daniel, let's look at the big five leagues in Europe and where they stand as stand rather as we are into mid-March heading into the international break coming up next week. In the Premier League, Manchester City continues to lead but slipped up a bit yesterday playing to a nil-nil draw at Crystal Palace. City still leads the Premier League with 70 points. Liverpool on their heels with 66 points. They've also played one less match. Uh, Chelsea, uh, their team in turmoil, continue to win. In the Premier League, uh, winning at home against Newcastle, 1-0, a solid third place with 59 points. And the battle for fourth place, Daniel, continues in that final Champions League spot, but Arsenal in a real good position right now. Currently in fourth place, 51 points. Man United in fifth with 50. West Ham in sixth with 48. Wolverhampton in seventh with 46. The Gunners have played three less games 
or matches, I should say, than the teams below them chasing. So uh, right now, Daniel, it looks like we got a good race for first place in the Premier League, and Arsenal uh, starting to uh, put a little distance ahead of the other uh, behind them in the pack. And again, having those matches in hand, you have to win them. But what do you think of the top of the Premier League right now and your thoughts? Well, the top of the Premier League right now is quite riveting because you have Man City, who yesterday, by the way, when they played Crystal Palace, I watched that game start to finish, and that was a riveting contest. And you want to talk about good goalless games. That was a good nil-nil draw, really entertaining. And Liverpool, they continue to do what it is that they do, so they're just nipping at the heels. Huge game when they play Arsenal tomorrow, so we'll see what happens there. That could potentially close the gap to just one point at the top of the table when they were saying, I believe it was 58 days ago, the, the gap was 13 points between first and second place in the Premier League, which is right. quite staggering to think about. Chelsea certainly in, in a good position right now in third place uh, in terms of what they've done in the Premier League. They've won their last five games. And Arsenal, too, they've been doing really well as of late with the games in hand. We'll have to see what they do with those games in hand because they have some tough fixtures coming up. But, again, we will see in terms of the top four race, I think right now spots four through eight anybody can get that top four. But as long as Arsenal continue to produce the way that they've been producing, I'm hopeful that they can uh, manage to get that uh, that fourth position, Scott. Daniel, looking in the relegation zone in the Premier League, uh, starting to take take shape a bit. Norwich, bottom of the table with 17 points and in big trouble. Burnley ahead of them with 21 points and Watford with 22. Burnley has played two less matches than the teams in the relegation zone with them, and just above them, Everton continue to struggle. Uh, they are tied with Watford on points in 17th place, but I have the tiebreaker right now. Everton also has three less matches played than Watford. Leeds United uh, getting a big win, win over the weekend over Norwich. Uh, a bit clear now with 26 points. So, Daniel, it looks like to me Bournemouth looks like they're going to be safe. Uh, Leeds still on the cusp, but I think it's going to be between five teams, Leeds, Norwich, Burnley, Watford, and Everton. Uh, maybe another team will drop, but it looks like to me at least uh, it's going to be five teams trying to avoid three bottom spots. At this point in time, that's certainly what it looks like. And we spoke in our last show how we both believed that Brentford were going to be in trouble. And we said that they would have to find a way in order for their form to change in their last two games. They've pulled off two wins and they've got six points from six. And now they've increased the gap. So I think that Brentford now is going to be safe with just uh, with nine games left to go, I believe they have. So Leeds, obviously, like you said, a huge win. I still think Norwich City are in the most uh, difficult situation at the very bottom of the league. Everton still do have those games in hand. I know you being a Chelsea supporter and a big ad- admirer of Frank Lampard, you'd want to see him do well. I'd like yes. to think that Everton are going to stay up. I'd like to also think that Burnley uh, is going to stay up as well because Sean Dyche is, is, a, is a fantastic manager. He knows how to get himself out of these situations. But right now, for me, it's looking more like Norwich, Watford, and other so it's it's going to be, like you said, between those five teams at the bottom, and we'll have to see what happens. But it's one of those things, Scott, with the relegation zone. We can have a change in opinion in soccer because it happens all the time, but my opinion on the relegation zone has flip-flopped so much this season because there's so many ever-changing details that are within it. 
Looking at Serie A in Italy, Daniel, uh, AC Milan is still top of the table with 63 points. Milan shuts down Empoli 1-0 over this past weekend. Napoli in second place with 60 points. Uh, Napoli over Hellas Verona 2-1 on Sunday. Inter in third place with 59 points. They've played one less match than the teams above them. Inter did drop points uh, in Torino, losing, uh, or should say drawing 1-1. Juventus in fourth place in that final Champions League position with 56 points. While you have Lazio, Atalanta, Roma, seven and eight points back of Juventus. Uh, Still a good race at the top in Serie A. Still a very good race, and I think for all intents and purposes, what we could probably start to say is that with the final, I don't know, give or take nine, ten games that each team have left to play, what we see right now in the top four is probably going to stay as is, and I've said a couple of shows back that what we saw in terms of the top seven would stay as is, and I'm still going to stick with that position. I think Milan right now, I would say, is probably the best of the bunch, not because that they're top of the table, but I think that they're finding ways to win games that they previously didn't in past seasons, where they might pull off a draw where they should have won, or they might lose a game when they should have drawn. I really like the mentality of this Milan team, and you'd have to think there's a bunch of different characters in that side, mainly with uh, Ibrahimovic, that are kind of leading that uh, that race, if you will. So it's still a decent race. Napoli are right there. Inter is right there. Juventus is slowly creeping. So the top four in Italy is one of the best that we've seen, maybe apart from the Premier League this season, Scott. Yeah, it looks like a good race uh, to the end in Italy. Uh, looks like not a good race in La Liga in Spain. Real Madrid... We will definitely talk about later in their Champions League match. Uh, also doing very well domestically, extended their lead to 10 points over second place Sevilla. Real Madrid shut out Mallorca yesterday on the road at 3 0. Barcelona and Atletico Madrid are tied for third place with 51 points, while Real Betis is in fifth with 49 points. Real Sociedad in sixth with 47. So, Daniel, it looks like it will be Real's title once again uh, with a good uh, battle for the final two Champions League spots in Spain. How do you see uh, Spain looking right now? I see Spain looking as as it should, Scott, to be perfectly honest, maybe apart from Barcelona just being a couple of steps behind Sevilla, but that could quite uh, that could quite easily change. And I would also like to say, too, with Atletico Madrid, I, I said that the way that they play is often good for a season, and it's difficult to play that way for back-to-back-to-back seasons because teams kind of suss that out really quickly, but they've been on a really good run of form also. One thing I want to say on Real Madrid is – their manager, Carlo Ancelotti, he deserves a lot of credit because he's been pulling up trees over there this season. And I get it. It is Real Madrid, huge club, top players, a lot of money, the whole bit. But he has done a sensational job this season, not just in the Liga, but as we're going to talk about very soon in the Champions League. Looking at the Bundesliga in Germany, Bayern Munich continues to lead there, 60 points. They did drop points over the weekend playing to a 1-1 draw at Hoffenheim. Borussia Dortmund in second place with 53 points and looks to be the only team to challenge Bayern for the title. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen in third place with 45. And a great great race for third and fourth. Daniel Leipzig, Freelberg, and Hoffenheim, each with 44 points. So looks to be Bayern Munich again, but there will be a, looks like a pretty good battle for a couple Champions League spots, much like in Spain. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the the battle to get into the Champions League and in the Bundesliga right now is is quite fantastic. And 
if you're a fan of watching those games, I would say that the games are always entertaining. Maybe you don't get the quality of the Premier League or City off, for example, but some really uh, entertaining fixtures, very physical, aggressive style of football. So Bayern, yeah, they're at the top. They're doing quite well. They did draw their last two matches, but I think that they're going to be far and away clear at a, at a not-so-distant point in the future. Dortmund just being there enough just to put a little bit of pressure on, but probably what we see right now in terms of the top two positions are going to stay as is, as we expected at the beginning of the season. And those Champions League spots, man, oh, man, it's uh, it's going to be some race. And, Daniel, for sake of time, purpose, and really my interest, uh, France, it's going to be PSG. That's about all I got. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I could say, next. Yeah, exactly. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this March 15th edition of Full Time. And, Daniel, let's get to the Champions League. Uh, matches are going on as we are doing our recording. We will get to those finals here after we look at the four teams that are already through to the round of eight. Uh, going back to last week, last Tuesday, Bayern Munich, they were not very happy about playing to a mm-hmm. draw in Salzburg as they absolutely destroyed Red Bull Salzburg in Germany on Tuesday, 7-1. to So they win that tie 8-2 to on aggregate. Uh, no big surprise there. Liverpool also through to the next round. Uh, they didn't make it easy as they won their first leg uh, against Inter Milan 2-0. Uh, they did lose at Anfield on Tuesday 1-0, and Inter had a red card in that one, but Liverpool does advance on aggregate 2-1. to one. So, Daniel, of those two teams, uh, really no surprises. I guess I was a little surprised how much Liverpool had to kind of hang on to get that win at home. Well, not get the win, but to just lose by one and then move on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with, with Bayern Munich, we knew the class would eventually prevail and they were sensational on, on their home turf. So what, a, what an incredible victory in terms of margin of victory for them. And then with Liverpool, we did say that they would probably have to just see themselves over the line. I didn't expect them to lose at Anfield. That being said, they've been playing a ton of football matches. They have a, a ton of squad rotation going on right now. So even though it was a loss, the overwhelming sort of notion after the game was that well yeah we did lose and as as Liverpool we don't expect to lose at Anfield but we're through to the round of eight and we're in the quarterfinal and that's all we really care about. The other two teams through to the quarterfinal round in the Champions League these matches played last Wednesday at Man City we knew they were going through they won their first leg against Porto 5-0 on the road and basically played a glorified exhibition game a nil-nil draw at home against Porto, so Man City through, we knew that. But the match of the week, and probably of the Champions League so far, it appeared on Wednesday, Daniel, that PSG was going through. They won their first leg of their tie against Real Madrid, 1-0 in France on that late goal by Mbappe. Mbappe, I believe, scored the first goal in the second leg of the match uh, as Real Madrid was down 0-2 to going into the second half. It looked like PSG was going to get over that hump, but boy, that second half, uh, defensive breakdowns for the French side, and a Frenchman named Kareem Benzema scores three second-half goals, lifting Real to a 3-1 to win and advancing 3-2 to on aggregate. And, you know, Daniel, I really didn't see this one coming. I know we were texting back and forth a bit after the match, but, you know, really thought PSG was going to win this going into the second half, and then 
they, they just had that deer in the headlights look and Real Madrid just does this year in and year out. It doesn't matter who they got on their squad. They just seem to know how to win these matches and get over the line in advance. Uh, your thoughts on that match? That certainly was uh, a, a classic one. For sure. I'm not going to make any comments on Man City. Congratulations for getting through. We already <laughs> knew that was going to happen. PSG, I have to say, you want to talk about the boy who cried wolf? PSG Oof. is the boy who cried wolf. I'm just going to read out the past years that they've been in Champions League positions when they should have won and they didn't. 2013 quarterfinal exit because they drew both games against Barca when they could have won. 2014, they exited in the quarterfinals again after being 3-1 up on aggregate against your Chelsea Blues going into the second leg. They yep. bottled it. 2015, quarterfinal exit after being dominated by Barcelona. 2016, another quarterfinal exit, this time against Manchester City after having a terrible second leg performance. 2017, if you remember, round of 16, up 4-0 on aggregate, ended up losing 6-1 in the second leg. I was on the elliptical at that time just before soccer practice. I nearly fell off. 2018, <laughs> round of 16 exit again against Real Madrid this time after being dominated over two legs. 2019, round of 16 exit against a poor Manchester United team after being 2 to nil up after the first leg. 2020, they lost to Bayern in the final, which, again, Bayern was a top team. 2021, sem- semifinal exit last year against Manchester City after being dominated over two legs. And this year, they bottle it against Real Madrid. Scott, I am sick of talking about PSG in the Champions League because they never get it done. Just can't get it done when it counts. Uh, Matches going on right now, Daniel. Uh, It has gone final at Old Trafford. Atletico Madrid, uh, that one was tied 1-1 on aggregate. They get the win at Old Trafford 1-0. That one just went final, and I did notice that the uh, classy fans at Old Trafford uh, were peppering uh, the uh, visiting coach with bottles and snowballs and everything else as he exited stage left, so Atletico is through. Uh, They are still in extra time with Ajax and Benfica. Right now it's 1-0 Benfica. There's still four minutes left in extra time so we'll get a final on that one but uh, Daniel man you you know they've kind of flirted with danger during this Champions League run and uh, with their domestic lack of success uh, they're not in the FA Cup which we'll talk about next uh, times at Old Trafford not so good not so good indeed and I'm I'm well I'm not fearful for Manchester United because I could care less as an Arsenal fan but I do have lots of friends and, and lots of close people in my life who are Manchester United fans, and the overwhelming feeling is if they can't get top four this year, that's going to spell a world of trouble because they're not going to win any trophies, obviously, as of now. So if they can't get into the top four, their hopes of retaining players, signing players, that becomes very grim. But uh, obviously another another mediocre performance today and the better team on the day, at least, Atletico Madrid go through, and kudos to them because they deserve it ultimately. Tomorrow's match is Daniel Juventus will host Villarreal in turn. That one is tied on aggregate at 1-1, and Chelsea will try to block out all their distractions and take care of business in France as they hold a 2-0 lead going into their match against Lille. Uh, earlier today, the European Union did uh, throw some sanctions on uh, former owner Roman Abramovich, uh, freezing his assets, uh, travel ban, uh, but according to Sky Sports News, this will not affect the Champions League match against Lille as uh, UEFA are seeking clarification from the EU about how the latest sanctions may impact Chelsea. So that match is on as of now. But uh, as far as those two matches, matches Daniel, uh, what do you think on those? 
Well, as long as the, the Chelsea match goes ahead, I feel like they will take care of business being up 2-0 to nil on aggregate and just overall being a better team. And the mentality, I have to say, by the way, of Thomas Tuchel, the manager of Chelsea, unbelievably good. And I think that as, as, as a Chelsea fan, you must feel so fortunate to have such a great manager steering the ship in these difficult times. Um, and then the Juventus and Villarreal tie, I still think that Juventus has the better side and they'll find a way to, to break down Villarreal's little block. So I see that Juventus go through uh, to make it through to the uh, the quarterfinal, Scott. Yeah, talking about Tuchel there, I mean, you talk about uh, somebody with a lot of pressure on his so- uh, shoulders right now. He's pretty much the de facto well, he is the manager, but the de facto uh, chairman of the board, uh, press secretary, spokesman, you know, he's the one that has to answer all these questions while trying to win a Champions League, while trying to stay top three in the Premier League, while trying to prepare in the FA Cup. I mean, uh, just the, the amount of pressure he is under is amazing, and he just seems to be able to uh, steer the ship, and certainly as a Chelsea fan, I'm very thankful. I like Frank Lampard, don't get me wrong, but I think this is the right guy for this situation right now is Mr. Uh, Tuchel. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this March 15th edition of Full Time. And Daniel, let's talk about the oldest and most prestigious cup in all of soccer, the FA Cup. This goes back to 1871. So a lot of hockey fans probably listening to our show, Daniel. And you know the Stanley Cup is a very old trophy, but this one has about 30-some-odd years yep. on the Stanley Cup. The quarterfinals will be taking place this weekend. Uh, one match on Saturday, three on Sunday. Uh, Chelsea, looking to win potentially three cups this season, will be at Middlesbrough out of the uh, championship division. We'll talk a little more about that after we look at the other matches. Sunday matches sees Manchester City traveling to the Gold Coast to take on Southampton. Struggling Everton, uh, they will be visiting London to take on Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest. No, they're not bringing... Uh, Robin Hood or any of that crew, but they bring in their football team. And they will be uh, hosting Liverpool on Sunday. So, Daniel, you have three big clubs left. They all play on the road, all of them in Premier League battles, Champions League play. The question I have before your comments on uh, just those matches in general is, how much of a squad will they put out there? I mean, does this trophy still mean as much to those teams as maybe in the past when you have other cups on the line, like the Champions League and you have Premier League positions? Is the FA Cup still as important as it's been over the past few years? I have to say the answer to that would be no. And yep. the only reason why is because when we take a look at the prestige of the Premier League and the prestige of the Champions League, Liverpool and Manchester City, they're going to rotate their squads like crazy, not because of the competition that they're up against, but because of the level and the amount of games that they have. And if you want to prioritize, and I know this as a coach, because when you have tournaments and league games and you're coming home and you have exhibition fixtures and you have training sessions, players do need rest. So you do have to rotate your squad. So the likes of Liverpool and Man City, they won't be putting this high on their priority list. However, the likes of Everton, Crystal Palace, and probably Middlesbrough, and I'd have to probably put Chelsea in the, the conversation with City and Liverpool as well, and, and Southampton and, and Nottingham Forest and Middlesbrough, they'll be looking at this as a huge opportunity because if they can advance and win a trophy, that's huge for their club, and then it could do wonders for them in terms of what can happen in the following seasons and in, in, in the seasons to come. So I think right now we would have to say that the FA Cup maybe has lost a little bit of his ma- of its magic, because not so much emphasis is placed on it like the Premier League or the Champions League. That being said, it's still an amazing cup, and any time that there's games on, you definitely look to watch, because I know this weekend uh, I'll be definitely tuning in. 
Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think with the Premier League uh, starting, and you know, the Premier League hasn't been around forever. It's only been around since the early 1990s. And I think with that building over the years, uh, certainly the FA Cup is one of my favorite formats for any sporting competition because literally everybody has a chance to play in yes. the FA Cup in, in England. And I mean everybody, even the smallest of uh, clubs and, and towns. Uh, we do have a final in, uh, Daniel, from the other Champions League match. Benfica knocks off Ajax in Amsterdam 1-0. That one kind of surprises me. Your thoughts? Me too. Me too, man. I'm just, I'm seeing right now and you got, uh, you have Darwin on the pitch. You have the, the manager of Benfica and they're all pumping up the crowd and going to their supporters. They've won this game on the road. It's, it's stunning scenes right now here in Ajax. And I really did believe that Ajax would go through, but Benfica, huge kudos to them. They deserved it and they, they got themselves over the line. So well done to them. Daniel, one other thought on the FA Cup, and this news broke today as well. So much Chelsea news. We probably didn't get to half of what uh, was broken today, but Chelsea earlier today cited sporting integrity as the reason for asking the clash uh, against Middlesbrough, which is on the road for Chelsea, to be played behind closed doors after they failed to agree and easing in the license granted last week uh, to continue their operations uh, following the sanctions of their former former owner. Middlesbrough issued a strongly worded statement in response to the request, calling it bizarre, without any merit whatsoever, and ironic in the extreme. However, Chelsea uh, late today uh, withdrew their request to play Saturday's FA Cup quarterfinal against Millsboro behind closed doors. Uh, reasoning being uh, Chelsea uh, will not have uh, fans that didn't get tickets allowed to their matches. And I was just reading something before we went on the show, Daniel, that they actually may have to bus it to Middlesbrough, mm-hmm. which is in the northeast of England. However, I think a couple players... Are, uh, might be foot in the bill, so to speak, to get a private jet. But these are some of the things that Chelsea is dealing with. They don't have an owner that's going to give them first-class accommodations. They might have to bus it after going to France. Uh, they're in France right now to, for a Champions League match. I mean, I mean, Bazaar doesn't even begin to give a correct definition of this. It's, this is just crazy. Uh, it's madness. And, and what I will say on the situation with, them originally asking the game to be played behind closed doors for sporting integrity. The underlying thing is, and most people don't, won't know about this, is that the ticket sales for a game and anything that's purchased at the gate, 45% goes to the traveling team, 45% yep. goes to the home team, and then the remaining 10% goes to the FA. So I'm not really sure why sporting integrity was the line of reasoning in the line of reasoning and the premise for why this game was potentially to be played by uh, behind closed doors. I'm glad that now it's kind of off the table, but Chelsea really need to, I think, just stay together and focus on their football because right now it is a dire situation for them, and their their main focus obviously right now is, is in France and what they're trying to do over there. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this March 15th edition of Full Time. And, Daniel, just a couple more topics before we end the show. Uh, MLS, uh, three matches played so far in the league, and our two teams met over the weekend. Uh, the Columbus crew knocking off Toronto FC 2-1 to in Columbus. Uh, Columbus off to a good start. They are uh, top of the table in the East, along with Philadelphia. In the West, you have LAFC, Real Salt Lake at the top of the table. Uh, it's very early, Daniel, but lots of parity right now. Uh, just 
four teams have not lost and just six teams have not won. So just overall early thoughts on the MLS. Certainly uh, I picked a good team so far. They haven't lost yet. Oh, no, don't top of the table in the East. So well done to them and well done to you, Scott. Good choice for sure. Um, I'm actually going to be in Toronto this weekend, funny enough. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing and hearing the buzz that's around Toronto FC. I don't, I would anticipate that it's not going to be the true buzz until July starts to roll around, which me and my friends are already starting to plan some, uh, some trips down to go and see some games because we really nice. want to see and see me play and all the buzz that's going on there. Like I said, a couple of weeks back. Toronto will probably get into the playoffs. They're not going to make any noise, at least not this season, because they're going to have to get the pieces around that main focal point in Insigne when he does arrive. But I think right now with the start of the MLS, it's it's been a good start, like you said, with the teams that are undefeated, the teams yet to have won a game. But that being said, as the season goes along, the teams will improve, the players will improve, and the quality of play will improve. So in my opinion, slowly but surely becoming a top league, and I do love watching some MLS games for sure, Scott. Daniel, this might get me in trouble with some of our listeners and certainly uh, someone we know very well, David McKegg. But uh, the buzz in Toronto will certainly be on the football club once the Leafs are bounced again early from the (laughs) NHL playoffs. I know Dave listens to this show, so I had to throw a little shot there. My team ain't even making the playoffs, so that's the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Daniel, let's let's finish our show. Uh, Looking ahead to the international break, when we do our next uh, show, everything should be pretty much wrapped up as far as CONCACAF. Three matches left for the United States and Canada. Uh, right now, Canada top of the 18 group with 25 points yet to lose. They will be at Costa Rica next Thursday, host Jamaica on March 27th, and finish in Panama on March 30th. Canada needs just two of a possible nine points to qualify. United States, they have a little more work to do as they are tied with Mexico currently with 21 points. And in the top three right now, again, the top three in CONCACAF automatically qualify. U.S. does have a big match at Mexico next Thursday with the winner of that match pretty much in. However, if the U.S. does lose that match, they can punch their ticket to Qatar on March 27th when they host Panama, who has 17 points. And in fourth place, the U.S. will finish qualifying at Costa Rica. Mexico, they're pretty much in, in my opinion. They have room for error. Even if they slip up against the United States, they will be at bottom dwellers, Honduras, and host El Salvador in their final two matches. So, Daniel, it's pretty simple for me as far as the math. Canada and the U.S., it's pretty straightforward. Canada needs two points in three matches, and the U.S. needs to beat Panama on home, and they're both going to the World Cup. I think if you would have explained this scenario when qualifying started a few months ago, I think both countries would have taken it. Oh, man, I would have ripped your hand off for those uh, scenarios, no question about it. It's uh, it's very simple. And the other day I was, not the other day, I shouldn't say, about a week or so ago, I was looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, I, don't, I can't see Canada winning all three of their final fixtures here. But then I had that moment of realization, I'm like, hey, they're not going to have to. So just like you said, the math all adds up. It's it's more of a win and in sort of scenario for for both of these teams. And I'm really hoping that it happens because it'd be a long way till 2026, but we both control our own destiny in terms of uh, footballing anyways for the for Canada and the states. So I'm hopeful that Canada will do their, their business. The U- United States will do their business. And like you said, Mexico kind of has that ride into the sunset, if you will, with the fixtures that they have, the last two fixtures anyways. Um, so, yeah, it's looking like those three teams will, will qualify, but we'll, we will wait to see what happens in these, uh, in these next week or so, in the next week or so, Scott. 
Yep, and also there'll be qualifying matches in South America, Asia, and Africa, along with the playoff rounds in Europe. Let's look at those real quickly here, Daniel, before we end our show. Of course, this has been affected by the war in Ukraine. Uh, Russia is out. They will not be playing. Poland will be getting a bye. However, there's still still some questions as far as how that's going to be sorted out. And Ukraine, who is scheduled to play Scotland next week, that one has been... Uh, suspended if you will they're hoping to play that later on but boy i don't know how they're going to do that right now so the only path we know there's three different paths there's three spots up for grabs for the european team uh, teams rather in path c italy will take on north macedonia portugal will take on turkey on march 24th and then the winners of those two matches will be uh, playing on March 29th, and that's going to be either at Portugal or Turkey. The other match in Path B, again, Poland through, we think. Sweden will take on the Czech Republic, and the winner will take Poland on, we think. And in Path A, the Scotland-Ukraine match, that has been uh, temporarily suspended because of obviously uh, war conditions in Ukraine. Wales will take on Austria. So Europe right now, much like it is, uh, you know, with this war, Daniel, uh, pretty complicated as far as potential World Cup teams. But the one we do know, Italy, Portugal, to get into the World Cup potentially. Daniel, I think you're going to be watching that one. Oh, I will be, and uh, I'll be on pins and needles. I'm certain of it. Obviously, Italy has a job to do to get past North Macedonia. Yep. Portugal does against Turkey, and believe me, Turkey will be no pushover, that's for sure. No. I, I would say in regards to Europe right now, in terms of the, uh, the the qualification for the World Cup, there's a lot of questions, maybe not a whole lot of answers. Scott, would you agree with that? I think uh, 100% on that. Obviously, there's a lot of questions and answers outside the world of sports that we're hoping to get to. And again, I, I just want to stress that, you know, we talk a lot about soccer and how this uh, war affects the world of soccer, but, you know, it pales in comparison. I can't stress that enough. I've been watching sure. a lot of coverage, Daniel, and I'm sure you have as well, because it's just something I never thought I would see in our lifetime. And certainly I hope that we as uh, the world community can just offer more than just uh, maybe a hashtag or a pat on the back. Good luck. Uh, it, to me, it's getting to the point where something else has to change because too many innocent people are dying, and it's just horrible conditions for those poor folks over there. Well, without question, I was watching the, uh, the the news this morning with my father, and on the bottom it had that little subtitle, and it said, War likely to be over in early May. And I'm thinking to myself, well, we can't withstand another month and a half of it. I can barely withstand another day of it, another second. So, yeah, like I said before at the start of the show, that our hearts certainly ache for it, and I'm really hopeful that uh, things will get better. But uh, at this moment in time, it's such a difficult watch on the news or on, on social media or whatever the case might be. But we really certainly hope that it does get better, Scott. Absolutely. And as you said earlier, Daniel, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone affected in that terrible war going on right now. Daniel, that's going to do it for this March 15th edition of Full Time. Thank you, as always, for taking the time out to join us and uh, to give your thoughts and expertise on the world of soccer. And uh, 
you know, we do our show every two weeks, and uh, we could probably do it every two days, but we want to no keep kidding. it fresh, so we'll keep it every two weeks. Uh, we'll probably go back to Wednesday uh, here coming up at the end of the month. Uh, Daniel, enjoy uh, the football, uh, certainly lots of it. We will talk to you in two weeks' time for our next edition of Full Time. Yes, sir, and that was a great show again, brother, and thanks to all who listened. Really appreciate it. Yes, we really appreciate our listeners. Again, if you want to hear full-time, you can find it on the website, thegamesportshow.com, thegamesportshow.podbean.com, or just type in The Game Sports Show to your favorite podcast site, uh, Apple, Spotify, the list goes on and on, iTunes, and many others. You can find this show and all of our shows on the game entertainment and media platform. That's going to do it for this March 15th edition of Full Time, brought to you by The Game on News Talk 1400, the game entertainment and media, and sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. We will talk to you in two weeks' time for our next edition here on The Game Entertainment and Media.